let's just go to the Lord in prayer for a moment. How about you just put your hands out like this? This is a sign of being open. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, and I mean, you've heard our heart song, Lord, of praise and worship to you. But God, right now we just open our hearts, our minds, our fears, our worldviews, our beliefs, everything, Lord God. We just open them up to you, God, and ask that your word would just come and search our hearts, Lord. And I, I'm really believing tonight that there will be uh, just a change, Lord, in the way that we see faith, a change in the way that we see the gospel, Lord. And I'm just believing that that can only happen, Lord, by a move of your spirit. So, Lord, move. In Jesus' name, we're ready for it. We're open for it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. All right, take a seat. Welcome, welcome. Shout out to the summer camp, guys. Yeah. Including Isaac, who's gotten a shirt. He begged me for one. Um, no, Asher I, I, I said it, but I've just got to say, like, the context behind our leaders coming to summer camp is often they're taking annual leave from work. We're getting them to pay the same amount as the kids, which maybe we should reduce it a little bit or something, or maybe pay more because you're working full time. I don't know. But it's just a huge, in some ways, sacrifice, and yet it's done so willingly, and it's so easy for them, and it just... I don't know, I'm just grateful for their hearts and their willingness, and also shout out, obviously, for people who went to summer camp as well. But how about we just give them a big appreciation for doing that? It's a big deal. And Asher and I are super grateful for that. All right. Well, I'm sharing the word tonight. I hope you're ready. And we're going to look at a passage in Matthew 17, but I feel like it's highly likely that I'm going to spend almost all of my time setting up the passage, right, with some big picture stuff. We may only spend just a couple of minutes in it, but I want to present this big picture, okay? And let's just start somewhere, right? Let's do it. Let's start with what is supposed to happen when we hear the gospel? Eongelion is the Greek word that the four writers of the gospels used to describe their accounts, right? They didn't call it an essay, didn't call it a novel or a letter. They called it a gospel. And gospel speaks of good news that is a victory, sorry, good news of a victory that's been won. Okay, so a messenger is sent by the king or by the general back home and he declares to everyone from authority with the king that victory has been won, right? Celebrating the end of the war or that the king, you know, has declared that the war is over. They use this word to describe the gospel. And so these gospel accounts are meant to build your faith in Jesus or challenge your lack of faith in Jesus. King Jesus, right? The one who's declaring the victory. Jesus' words and his works in the gospel are meant to stare you right in the face and ask you for a response. But you might be saying, Matt, I've read the gospel, and sometimes, if I'm being honest, I don't have my faith built or challenged. It's kind of like this numb feeling, you know? Or maybe you have in the past, but you feel like the last couple of years you've been a little bit dry. You haven't really seen anything new. The gospel, in some ways, it's just there, right? I believe it, it's there, it doesn't evolve, it doesn't change in my life in any way. Well, Matthew... Not me, the gospel writer. <laughs> I know that can get confusing because he's got the same name as me. He, that's a cheesy joke. He pulls back 
the curtain for us on a switch, right? Like a power switch that needs to be on for our faith to be built or challenged when we hear the gospel. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. I'll give you a scenario, okay? Let's just imagine you had a big day at work, right? You're out in the hot sun, you know, sweating it out. You know, you come in, have a nice dinner. Everything's set, ready for a nice, you know, your phone reminds you to go to bed. So you go to bed, you plug your phone in, you set your alarm for 5.50 or whatever you need to wake up the next morning. You go to sleep. Next morning, you wake up naturally. How good's that? It's sometimes a rare, a rare thing lately, right? Waking up naturally, peace and quiet, the sun trying to penetrate the blackout curtains you've got. Check your phone. Uh-oh, it's dead. It's plugged in, no alarm. Adrenaline starts pumping. That's right, Jonah knows this because he was late for soundcheck a couple of weeks ago, right? Goes out to the oven clock, it's 9.30 a.m., all right? Oh, no, that's not good. The power switch on the little four-square adapter that you've got has been turned off. And if you've ever walked around this place with Jonah, if he sees a light, if he sees a switch that's turned on, he actually goes and turns it off. Like, you walk at any place, he'll go and turn it off. So, yeah, anyway, that's a nice little anecdote there. But the power switch was off, right? Can't charge the phone. The Gospel of Matthew paints a picture of a power switch that needs to be on for us to have any chance to have our faith built or challenged when we read the Gospel, okay? But there's a massive problem. It's like there's a huge Jonah going around flicking off the switch all the time, okay? Because our world just hates this very thing, okay? Now, I'm kind of teasing out. I could just tell you what it is. You know what it is? It's seeing Jesus as an authority. But not just an authority, the authority. If that switch is flipped off, you can read all the stories you want. Nothing will change in your life. And you're conditioned to challenge authority. This is the world that we live in, right? Let me spell it out to you. And a definition of authority, very simply, is when someone says, do this, and you do it. Okay? Simple, simple. Okay? Do this, and it's done. Regardless of how the person feels, regardless of how it's always been done, regardless of what the weather's like, if someone has authority, and they say, do this, and the person does it, they are the one with the power. Correct? So... When someone has authority, they've got this power, but we have a love and a hate relationship with authority today, okay? Millennia ago, God or Mother Nature, right, or Yahweh of the Jewish people, whoever, you know, was behind the natural forces and the things that we just, you know, need shelter from or whatever, whoever created this existence was seen as an authority, Okay, that was millennia ago. Centuries ago, it was institutions, okay? Countries, nations, um, churches. But now, today, we see ourselves individually as authorities, okay? So just stick with me here for a second, but even if you just like take a little bit of a back step and you just think about that for a second, 
There is a massive logical flaw in that, okay? And if you've worked in hospitality at any point in your life, especially like if in, in a kitchen or something like that, like I have, you probably understand this cliche better than anyone else, the whole cliche of there's too many cooks in the kitchen, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe at Christmas time you experience that, you know, like five or ten people in the kitchen. If we've all got authority, does anyone really have any authority at all? Past thinking was to make institutions the authority, right? Where a group of people gathered together under united values and fronts towards a particular pursuit, okay? They held the power almost exclusively. Today, we reject institutions and we replace it with the self. We make a, and I, I guess the way that you can kind of see this is even within myself, making a fuss about wearing a mask, you know? These little things that an institution kind of makes me do, I get really annoyed by it. Like I'm just conditioned to really resist it. And then there's other things as well. We're conditioned to make life about ourselves over even community or country. Now, fair enough in some respects, like some institutions do abuse their power, and that's a good thing that God's justice is kind of working through that. But is replacing an institution with people power, individual power, a better option. A follower of Jesus is also aware of the corruption of the human heart. Right? In Jeremiah 17.9, it says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? God knows. The human heart is filled with sin. Do I really want to make a God out of myself? And a follower of Jesus needs to watch out and avoid joining this cultural push to, to tear down institutions and make individuals the power holders. Why? Well, check this out in Colossians chapter 1. Read this with me. Well, not out loud. Just read it kind of as I read it out loud. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is the first in everything. All of the Gospels and all of the Bible and even the universe and creation that surrounds us itself makes pretty clear who the authority is. It's not something we find on earth, but it is someone who walked the earth and reigns over the earth right now. Jesus is the authority. He's the king. He's the Lord of lords. He's the one in charge. He's the boss. He's the teacher. He's the son of God, delegated with the authority of the father to rule. And by extension, the church is the institution that he leads the church is the kingdom he's the king over, right? I'm not just saying in this church, I'm saying people who put their faith in him, 
right? The gathered body of believers. It's not the board, it's not Pastor Jack, it's not me as a staff member, it's not Ivor as a congregation member. It's Jesus. Jesus tells us what to do, and we do it. That's the authority that we give him in this place. Amen? Ultimate power has to rest somewhere with one source. When it all comes down to it, all the, all the vying authorities in the world all come to one supreme authority. And to be honest, as I've experienced at summer camp and even the last couple of days, the sun's pretty hot. Could destroy everything if it moved just that little bit closer. And I don't know about you, but I feel like going with the creator of that sun and the estimated one trillion other galaxies in the observable universe over myself. What other option do I have? <laughs> All right, now, now I'm talking a whole lot of stuff here. Where am I going with this? Okay. When we have a faith that is actually the kind of faith the gospel calls us to have, this is what it is, right? Jesus is my authority. I have faith that he is the authority. I trust in him. Tell me what to do, God. Tell me what to do. I trust in you. You're the authority. All right. So I'm banging on about power switches, faith, authority, institutions. I'm trying to be political, trust me. Just trying to get to a point here. So many of us in many seasons of our life, or at least I'm just saying that as a person who's 29 years old, followed Jesus since I was 16, tried to anyway at times, have such a powerless faith, Right? And to me, what I describe it as, it's, it's sometimes more of an interest in Jesus than it is actually what the Gospels would describe a faith in Jesus. Okay, it's an interest. I like to listen to songs about Jesus. I like to remind myself of how much He loves me. Okay, I like to be with people who are nice and eat cake with me. But sometimes I don't exercise any form of power available from our faith when we let Jesus be the authority. The kind of power that actually changes my life, changes that heart that is wicked, right? So many of us probably, I assume, even myself, this is me, we kind of like judge the strength of our faith by some really, really small acts of devotion, right? I feel great about my faith when I read my Bible for 30 minutes in the morning or go to church consistently, or go to a connect group, and then I feel really sad like my faith is failing when I don't tick off Genesis 10 and 11 on my Bible plan and I'm like three days behind, right? It's like our interest in God goes up and down, just like when you get like six seasons into a Netflix show and it becomes a bit B-grade, right? Because the actor's left. It's like that's how we treat faith. It's like this interest that we have. And so no wonder why during my teenage years it's all exciting because I'm jumping around you know, at summer camp and stuff like that. But then when I'm in the grind of life in the 20s and, you know, have kids and stuff like that, the interest kind of fades. Is that faith? I don't know. Or is that the faith that the gospel presents us with? I'm hoping in myself that I don't mistake an interest in the things of God with an actual faith. 
a faith in Jesus' authority over my life. Let's have a look and see what this verse here says in James. Don't worry, I'm getting to Matthew, but we're just going through, all right? Have a look at this. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, right? He who loves me will obey my commands. We know that from Jesus. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. What is this kind of verse like speaking to me about at the moment, right? You know, Asher and I have been reflecting a little bit that our devotional life has completely changed since we've had a second child. Shout out, Mila. Completely changed, right? Um, now, we could rearrange things very easily and, you know, get in the half an hour and stuff like that, but it's just like, I don't know, the motivation, the routine just feels a bit off, you know, especially in the first couple of months. So it sucks time away from this normal routine. And the old me would be like, oh, my faith is so dry, you know, I can't read my Bible and stuff like that. And that's just been feeling the same way. But as I began to, you know, really think about what the gospel calls us to do, which is more than just sitting back, believing in our heads, but actually getting out and doing it. I'm watching Asher very sacrificially nurture a child, a helpless, vulnerable person for her whole day and night, 7.30 to 7.30 plus some night shifts, right? Willingly doing that, not being grouchy about it, having a heart of love, not going out partying every single night, you know, hitting the dance floor, being faithful, consistent. Is that the gospel life? Or is the gospel life reading your Bible for 30 minutes? I'm not discrediting reading a Bible, okay? Get what I'm saying here. At some point, the gospel has to take this effect where it goes from us just needing to hear it all the time to do it. Okay, that's what James is saying here. So maybe there's a bit of a shift in the perspective, right? How has your life changed since you put your faith in Jesus? Have you put some things away that you used to very easily give into? Well, may I just say that perhaps Jesus is an authority in your life over that particular thing or over many things or over everything. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what is in your life. It says, then God will bless you for doing it. Sorry, then God will bless you for doing it. Asher is blessed by the reward of a gospel-shaped life, okay? Now, we're doing good. We're getting there. I said this would be a big setup. It was not one of those letdowns, you know, when the movie gets to the end and you're like, oh, wait, what? That's all right. Of course it's not going to be. We're going to read from the Word. All right. So what does this gospel-shaped life look like? The gospel, or all the gospels, but... The Gospel of Matthew spells out what this life looks like, right? Sit down and just read one of the Gospels all the way through, okay? Don't read it in chunks. Just read it, Matthew 1, Matthew 28, the whole way through. That's the Gospel. That's the good news presented to you. See if it changes your perspective, right? So, towards the beginning, once you get past all the genealogy Jewish, you know, like, 
um, stuff and John the Baptist, you get to Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount, right? A fridge full of how God designed life to be lived when the law is obeyed. And here's the response of his audience to his words. In Matthew 7, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these amazing things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. The words of Jesus, if the switch is on to you, they just drip with authority. Okay? Drip more than their shirt. <laughs> that's, a, that's a youth term. Drip means good-looking good shirts, good fashion, I, I hear. They drip with authority. For them, a switch has flipped. They can't get enough of it. This lifestyle of living life by God's design looks so good for them, feels so right. Jesus points out in this Sermon on the Mount how sin kills everything in our life. Right? How lust kills our marriages, how judgment kills our friendships, how money kills our peace. The gospel life makes so much sense because Jesus is the authority on life. And if we put our faith in these words, these words of authority, it doesn't just make sense, it actually works. It changes our life, right? it transforms our life. Jesus goes on, he heals incurable diseases paralyzed limbs, dysfunctional minds, even severe natural phenomena that Tim Bailey can't even see coming, right? And so we get to the end of the storm, Jesus stops it, and the disciples were amazed in Matthew 8. Who is this man, they ask? Even the winds and the waves obey him, right? The works of Jesus amaze us. They are covered with his authority over all things, you know, we pursue the ends of scientific and philosophical, you know, pursuits to gain freedom from certain things, and that's beautiful, that's great, right? We engineer and we build to protect from natural elements, and then we see Jesus with a, say the word and your son will be healed. Sorry, my, my, my servant will be healed. Authority that captures the disciples captivates the crowd, and to be honest, it commands me to put my faith in Him. What other authority could I put my faith in that promises this much good? Myself? So, as I said again, Matthew's Gospel, the whole way through, Jesus is the authority, and you should put all the faith that you can into these words, into this gospel. That's what it's getting us to do. Authority, Jesus is the authority. It's not just a dude, not just your friend. He is Lord. Amen? Amen? All right, groundwork done. Getting to Matthew 17. No idea how much time's left. I have a feeling it's about four minutes, all right, which is perfect. So, Matthew 17. We've got the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, they bow before the revealed Savior of glory. Then they come down the mountain, join the other disciples, and as usual, common theme, crowds there. Okay? 
This is where we're going. We're just going to pick through this just a little bit and we're going to finish this up. All right. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. A humble man appeals to Jesus on behalf of his son. He bows. Can you empathize in any way with the position of this man? You know, like who, who in your life would have such a condition or something where you would humble yourself, you know, before someone, in this case, Jesus? He honors the authority of Jesus. He bows his knee. He asks for help. And this man doesn't even let the failure of the disciples stop his faith. All right? Now, that's a whole nother preach about don't let the failures of fellow Christians throw your faith out. Okay? But we won't go there. <laughs> Unless you want me to. No, I won't go there. All right? We can acknowledge that sometimes disciples of Jesus don't even get close consistently enough to the kind of lifestyle that Jesus presents, okay? And fair enough, right? The, the bar's pretty high. But this man comes again with faith in the authority of Jesus to help him out, all right? Matthew isn't blasting Christians. Not me, I mean, Gospel of Matthew, all right? Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people. Oh, wait, no, he is. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here. Then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy and it left him. From that moment on, the boy was well. You know, Jesus' authority as sovereign Lord of the universe is not limited by the failure or lack of faith or lack of works of his disciples to have faith in him. He describes actually his disciples and to be honest, the whole Jewish nation in this case as faithless. And to be honest, I think that, you know, I am part of this rebuke as well. I feel like I've got an interest in Jesus, but maybe I'm faithless, right? I have a problem sometimes with a lack of zeal for the things of God because I'm my own authority, right? I don't allow God to be the Lord of my life in so many times. And maybe 2020 has revealed that your faith is a bit like a house of cards, you know? It's something that appears to be mighty and tall and significant, but the, the soon, as soon as something is taken away, like church or Bible reading or whatever, it feels like you're just left with something that's a bit faithless, a bit lifeless, right? Now, I'm going to keep going. In Matthew 7, 19... So after this has all happened, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? You know, genuinely, the disciples are surprised here. And they're surprised because in Matthew 10, Jesus delegates his authority to them. All right, look at this. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. So they go out two by two, 
they're doing all the things that Jesus was doing, they're teaching, they're doing his works, they're acting on that authority, okay? The man approaches this guy because they've seen the disciples do it, but the disciples don't do it. They're faithless, as Jesus describes. And they're actually shocked at the ineffectiveness of their faith. And Jesus is too. Maybe you're sometimes shocked at the ineffectiveness of your own faith to resist some of the things that the Sermon on the Mount teaches us or to just be open and compassionate. I don't know, whatever it is. You know, Jesus goes on and says, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Now, we love that, don't we? Right? We love this idea of the tiniest amount of faith moving mountains. Okay? Another version says that the mountain can be just tossed into the sea you know, with the smallest amount of faith. Okay? Here's something we've got to understand about our faith, guys. And I'm sure it's the thing that drew you to Jesus in the first place, right? And that first moment of faith and salvation. The greatest mountain of all, death and separation from God because of our sin, is moved by the smallest amount of faith. The smallest amount of faith in Jesus is so powerful. It is powerful enough to vanquish a mountain of sin so large with the humblest of confession. Micah 7, once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the sea. Right, The humblest of confessions without any good works in our life, on the final breath that we breathe, throws the mountain of sin that we accumulate in our lives. And we sometimes become like a thief on the cross where we just say with our last breaths, remember me when you go into your kingdom. King Jesus, authority, remember me. No good works to his life, very final stage, smallest confession moves that mountain of sin. If faith is just an interest in the things of God, if our faith, sorry, and we're not allowing Jesus to be the authority, then over some things, you might be interested in what Jesus says, but ultimately you'll determine what things you'll allow. But if you want to respond to the good news in the way that it's pushing us to respond, you will give every facet of your life over. Everything, every every sin, every dream, every desire. So, I've done a whole lot of gas bagging. I kind of really need to take a drink of water. I've never done this before. <laughs> awesome. But how do we need to respond to this message tonight, right? What's the, what's the response, okay? Put all of your trust, all of it, in the authority of Jesus. Make him the authority over your life. Let Jesus tell you what to do and how to live. Let the gospel words 
and works shape your decisions. Let Jesus be your teacher. Let him have control over your money. Let him determine your future decisions or your future partner. Seek his authority, not your own authority. And I don't know about you, but I need to tonight, again, declare in my heart that Jesus is the authority over everything. I don't know about you, but I can think of areas in my life. And so I'm just going to bow here. I'm just going to invite a time of prayer. And I'm going to pray a prayer of the Spirit just kind of searching our hearts a little bit to see if there's anything where it's like, you know what? This isn't submitted to God's authority. This isn't submitted to the Word of God tonight. So how about we just be open? Father, Lord, in the Psalms it says, Lord, to, that you search our heart. Lord, the Word searches our heart. And look, we're not perfect. We do have faith. Lord, I just confess that in Jesus' name. Faith, full authority is in you. I get distracted by things. The culture around me just pushes me, Lord, to resist and rebel against authority. But Lord, I humble myself before you tonight. And I just ask, Lord, for you to reveal in your church that's hearing these words, what parts of our life have we not yet submitted to you? What parts, Lord? Is it as small as a attitude that we have towards justice and what's right? Is it as large as a very obvious sinful lifestyle that we just can't admit or can't confess and it's obvious before us? Lord, what is it? What will build our faith in you tonight when we stop living our own way and we put our trust in you? Lord, I'm asking for you to help your church to do that. Lord God, penetrate our hearts. Lord, see beneath us and reveal to us by your Spirit or even as we read through the Gospel of Matthew what it is that we're missing. Help us, Lord, to be fully trusting in you, I pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. You know, there's a final thing that I've got to share. And couldn't share it. It's at the end of Matthew. You know what's coming, I assume, if you've been in this church. But look at this. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Right? Teach them to obey all the commands I've given you. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. That's how this gospel is summed up. In Matthew, Jesus is the authority. He sends us out, make disciples, teach them to obey the commands because the assumption is that we're living those commands out ourselves. And that is what Jesus, the King, is asking us to do. Amen.